First Nations people in the workforce are struggling under the weight of racism, increased cultural load and challenges to their identity. That's according to the Diversity Council of Australia's Inclusion at Work Index, which looks to provide a snapshot of the state of inclusion and diversity within our workforce. Unfortunately for First Nations people, inclusion and cultural safety in the workplace is something that we are dealing with on a daily basis. But with conversations around an Indigenous voice to Parliament and the upcoming referendum intensifying, many First Nations people are feeling unsafe with challenges to identity, stereotypes and assumptions common causes of concern. These issues were a central focus of a recent online forum hosted by the University of Technology, Sydney. I'm Philippa McDermott, Mananjali and Waka Waka Woman. My day job is the Director of First Nations Talent at Deloitte. I'm also honoured to be the Chair of Bangara I'm on the Lloyd McDermott Rugby Development Team, New South Wales Treasury Advisory Committee and a number of other things. But today we're here to talk about something that is dear to my heart and something that I do every day, which is Indigenous employment and all of the aspects that that entails. The more people that are employed in Indigenous space, which is what we've been driving for for the last 20 you know, or 30 years, is fantastic. Reconciliation action plans have really helped that as well, and there have been a number of initiatives to get Aboriginal people employed. I think after 30 years, in the beginning, obviously, we were flying, building the plane and flying it at the same time, and I think a lot of organisations are doing that. So they haven't set up systems properly and been through all of the detail that they need and to actually fully support our Indigenous employees. My experience of cultural load, the younger I was, the harder it was, but also when I was at the beginning of my career. But I was very lucky to work in Aboriginal affairs and at ATSIC, so I learnt the hard way in a lot of ways, but it was kind of, you know, thrown in the deep end. But I had a lot of support around me from working in an Aboriginal organisation. So you learn how to navigate that, but you also share that load. The older I've gotten and the more I've moved through my career, I've moved away from those areas and uh, although working in Indigenous employment and media. And the thing that I have found is that if there's not a person or a, a resource set up to deal with answering all the stupid questions, giving people resources or what have you, then the, the load gets sent out to everyone. People just ring in randomly any Aboriginal person they know in the organisation or you might be the only Aboriginal person in the organisation and it falls on you. So I've had that experience. What I have done to try and mitigate that as I've gone through my career is trying to set up systems within my organisation to help minimise that, like a toolkit, resources on our intranet, etc. And as much as you can do that, and it has helped, half the people don't know that they're there, but it's easy then to send an email just to direct them there. But it doesn't answer everybody's questions either. So the cultural load has grown, but now it's actually part of my job. So I am part of the resource in my organisation to answer those questions. And I take that very seriously, but that's not the case for everybody. And I understand that and it affects employment. And this is a real workplace issue. Okay. And this is where HR departments really need to understand this. You literally need to go through policies and procedures and what have you to actually get the settings right in the organization because you have to share that load. 
It can't just be pinned on Aboriginal people. But then as a leader, I actually take it on as my responsibility to be part of that and take that load off the younger staff. But that's not always the case. And I just pass it over to other people because I'm just conscious of, of me taking up too much time. We love hearing from you, Philippa. We can never hear enough from you. Philippa is one of the most experienced Indigenous person managing Indigenous people in the country, and we're very lucky to have her here today. I'd like to ask Lara Watson, if you're comfortable, Lara, can you share your experiences of cultural load and more generally as First Nations leaders in the workplace? Thanks. I look at this from two different areas. So I'm employed as an Indigenous officer at the ACTU, So there's cultural load that comes with my position. But I can also see where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the only people employed Um, and they're employed to do a job but are expected to do everything black as well. So kind of looking at my role within the ACTU, 100% supported, it's resourced, and this is what enables us to be able to go out and do what we know best because we do know that we have a higher success rate if we have Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people organising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. One of the real downfalls when you're an Indigenous officer within an organisation is isolation. So if you're the only black fella there in the workplace, it really does become difficult. And I guess in that situation, I would recommend that you don't employ one Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, but you employ two. So there is that cultural support there in the workplace. I've been in other roles that haven't been resourced. And when you're not able to deliver on outcomes, we're then questioned about the work that we do. And we know that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have to be exceptional at their job. We can't just be mediocre, or otherwise, we then get targeted being slack or doing something else. So when I look more broadly with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander members, union members and what their issues are in and around cultural load, particularly in and around Reconciliation Week and NAIDOC, their workloads get excessive and they're not paid anymore for doing that work. I don't think Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have anything to reconcile And really, it should be the whole organisation that if they want to get involved in Reconciliation Week or NAIDOC, then they need to do that. They can't just put that load on the one or two Aboriginal people that they have in their workplace. And what we've seen also is uh, RAPs. So RAPs have a very specific purpose within the workplace and they are not about creating work for the one Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person we have there. We know our culture, we know our heritage, we know our protocols, we know our sensitivities. So RAP is meant to be an organisational thing looking at how they can better improve a workplace and be attractive for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers and to create that safe space. And while I'm supported 100% in my role, It's very difficult. Like I often felt isolated. I've got another black fella on doing the referendum stuff, which is great, Rachel Boss, and we just run amok. And we're productive together because we know we can support each other and we can have conversations around cultural sensitivities 
that perhaps other people within the organisation aren't aware of. And I might leave it there. Fantastic. Thank you, Laura. Really, really appreciate. One more question for you and Philippa, and then we'll move on to the questions where we'll be hearing from Sarah Derry as well. What has the impact this year been on cultural load? What's different this year? Well, a year, hey? I'm part of the team that is rolling out the Unions for Yes campaign. At the beginning, I was pleasantly surprised that there wasn't too much racism or targeting of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And it just seems like overnight, every single racist in this country are coming out and targeting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, regardless of what side of the fence that they sit on, but also our allies as well. I've been called everything under the sun. I'm a, a lizard person that's come to take over the world and this is all a conspiracy and being told that we should all be rounded up and taken out to sea and drowned. So it's been pretty intense. ACT have been amazing in they filter my emails now, so any of that kind of racist stuff doesn't actually come to me. I don't filter through that. But I'm still out in public and we're still delivering training and they think it's a big joke. And ACT have organised a psychologist as well because I made the decision going into this campaign like I didn't always support it but when I come to the realization that this can be a game changer I made the choice to be vulnerable so that people could really understand the importance and the connection that we have and the necessity that we need Australians to vote yes but that also opens up the doors for any kind of hate So it does get a little bit too much at times, but I'm in a great space and being supported and that's been limited. So, yes, the cultural load has been exhausting this year, but I made the decision to be really open and vulnerable and I made that decision because my workplace supports the work that I'm doing and makes sure everything is in place that I'm safe and I have everything at hand to do the work that I want to do. Philippa, what has the impact this year been on cultural load for you? We all knew it was going to be a big year. I think the challenge for me has been that it's actually taken me off my day-to-day business, you know, in my workplace, but also at Bangara, we've set up training, which is fine because this is part of the job, right, for me. But in my workplace at Deloitte, it's a very conservative organization as you can imagine we don't have a lot of indigenous staff but this is about actually educating our 15,000 non-indigenous staff and clients I suppose at to some degree you know so that our staff when they're talking to clients actually have some information if they get asked by clients because our organization can support the Uluru statement and then they support a yes and etc etc so while we've been doing that training, uh, Joe Hedger and I, for our organisation, there is also the cultural load. There's cultural load for, for non-Indigenous people too, believe it or not, in the sense that if you are a yes supporter, then you're getting questioned and even our organisation is getting questioned as to why by their clients. It's about actually, for me, the, the load has increased because I am now 
taking it to the next level with trying to educate around this issue. And this is not an easy issue to unpack for people, the reasons why we have come to this conclusion. So it's about how do you inform your own people first and then what mechanisms can you set up in your organisation? So we've set up through EAP that there's Indigenous counsellors if they have challenging issues and they're going to be setting up a hotline. And I know a lot of people don't trust EAP either, but, you know, it is one mechanism that we can use. Then we have the information resources on our intranet and what have you. And so we've we've set up these streams to try and help support the training that we've been doing. But at the end of the day, it's taken us off our day jobs, really, but this is part of the day job. And it has been an extra load, but it's going to be worth it, regardless of whether we win, lose, draw, what have you. This has moved the conversation to the next level, which does mean more work. Always more work for us. I I think that's absolutely right, Philippa. And I, I think so many of us, once we'd made up our mind a couple of years ago or a year ago, what we thought were understanding that all of those negotiations had occurred with a mind to it being bipartisan and being a unifying moment nationally. And I think um, so many of us are just so disappointed that we're now having to operate in this environment of hatred, which is always really unnerving. Thank you, Philippa. Okay, I'm going to go to Sarah in the first instance because Sarah hasn't spoken yet, and if you could introduce yourself, Sarah. But the question is, what actions do you think are necessary to support First Nations employees this year? So I'd like you to talk in the general sense first. Noreen, and thank you, everyone. It's um, a great privilege to have an opportunity to be here with you all today. And I'm um, coming to you from Gadigal land, and I was born on Gadigal land but uh, grew up in far north Queensland in uh, Woolgarooga and Bindal country. I think even in this moment that we're having in the conversation today, I think it's the first thing that we all need to be doing for those of us who are not Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander is listening and listen to the real experiences that you're having and individuals are having. And I just want to thank Lara, Philippa, yourself and and everyone for sharing that. So I think in the general sense, listen deeply in the first instance. The cultural load that you've heard here, it is real. Our teams do talk about that as well. And so a real practical thing that we can do uh, from a general perspective is listening build your own knowledge and capability as an individual. If you are a leader in an organisation, you have a responsibility to also enable your team, your leaders, your, you know, every single person that you come into contact with to build their capability as well. And we have to shoulder the burden of that information and stepping into those spaces. So at a core, we have nearly 3% of our team members identify as First Nations. And you know, we have two very senior leaders in our Indigenous careers team. But again, unfortunately, the, the burden, it is exactly what you hear here, is that people will go to them first. What do I do? Whereas actually 
I would say in the most general sense is it is our responsibility as an individual to educate yourself, to step into that space and take accountability for that, I think is the most important thing that we can do. One of the things that I've really noticed by our brother Stan Grant being public, by everyone being exposed to the the racism on social media in such a big way is that People of decency and goodwill, um, non-Aboriginal people, are at last starting to see this thing that we have tried to tell you about, um, the racism that is experienced that we've tried to tell you about for so long. You're now starting to understand what is undergone and that is actually really, really positive. Um, I do try to be cheery as often as I can, so I'm trying to see the cheery side. Okay, so, Philippa. What actions do you think are necessary to support First Nations employees this year? What actions do you think are necessary to support? Oh, sorry, um, Philippa, what work is Deloitte doing to support your First Nations staff this year? Um, What work is Deloitte um, doing to support your First Nations staff this year? Thanks, Noreen. Thanks, Lara. Look, I'm just going to pick up on something Lara said around calling out racism. And as much as, you know, that is important to do, it's not always safe to do that. So I just preface that with only if you feel like it's safe to do that, and that will depend on your workplace. The challenge that I think workplaces have is that their policies and processes aren't set up for that. Even though we have WHS bullying and harassment and what have you, that doesn't actually mention the word racism, even though it mentions, you know, discrimination on race. There are nuances that HR people like to manoeuvre around. So there's a bigger challenge there, I think, for organisations because they don't know how to deal with it, right? So unless they have diverse and Indigenous people in that area, sometimes they're not dealing with it properly. That's another conversation that needs to be had and we're going to have that at another time about how we can support organisations, you know, to actually you know, literally drill down into their policies and make sure that those things are being covered. Also through grievance processes, they aren't robust enough quite often to be able to to cope with that. So you need to just be aware of that and find an ally in your organisation to help support you and or outside your organisation, even the union or what have you, if you're having those challenges. So I just want to put that out there because those kind of things are real and when you don't get a result or when you don't see any action I mean that is that's part of the cultural load and I don't need to tell you you know where that where that leads as well so what's Deloitte doing so we've got our just general cultural awareness training and so when you look at the you know Gary Arla report and other reports about what happens in workplaces generally most organizations should by now and if they don't have some kind of cultural awareness training even if it's a 101 and if you don't go to Reconciliation Australia's website and they have got at least free resources there that you your organization can can link and put back to their organisation and people can do their own training. But training is not everything, right? And then there's a turnover of staff and, you know, there's challenges with training. But training, generally training, not about the voice but just about cultural awareness, does help, okay? If you give people tools, they'll quite often go off on their own, hopefully, and start their own own journey. So you've got to at least at a basic minimum have some kind of cultural awareness training and there are a lot of free resources out there. And if you don't and if your organisation can afford it, then, you know, 
get someone in to do face-to-face and there are a lot of, you know, Indigenous people that are doing that now. And if you don't know, hit me up on LinkedIn and I'll give you some names of, you know, and resources. So we're doing training. Then we're, you know, we're looking at allies in our organisation because, as we said before, we can't do this on our own, right? So after our training that we're doing on The Voice, we're asking people if they want to be involved or they want to help, you know, support us and community to get information out to communities and to their own families. And it's not about voting yes and it's not about voting no, it's just actually getting information out because that seems to be the biggest challenge for us at the moment. What else is our organisation doing? We're having beyond me and Joe doing the training, we're having people coming in and there are plenty of people, uh, if you look on the yes and the no's uh, websites, there are people that will come to your organisation and, and if you host a panel session, will come and talk about the issues and talk about their perspectives. So, you know, I mean, we're all, everybody's doing webinars and, you know, panels and what have you on a number of things. So this is another way to inform your people. Sarah, what are you doing at Accor this year, Accor Hotels? Thanks, Doreen. Um, yeah, I think in a very specific sense, I think what's really important here is the practical tips that you're hearing for those, even for me, it sort of it gets you thinking about what more can I do. So on a practical level, number one thing is it's like anything in an organisation has to be led from the top. So I am making sure that I'm in as many conversations, panels, participating, hosting, doing those things as possible. And that's really important, number one. So for leaders listening in, I think being visible and making sure that you're participating fully and building your own capability sends a really important message, number one. Second to that, exactly um, building the capability of your, our team. So we also have a provider of face-to-face training in cultural capability. So we work with uh, Blackcard, uh, Mandanara Bales and her team. They run training for all our team members uh, to access that. And then we have sessions where you can go deeper you know, into different topics or if you really want to learn um, as a non-Indigenous person about how to deliver a meaningful acknowledgement to country and things like that. So on a base level, absolutely providing access to training is critically important. So there's some of the things we're doing. The other thing is that given the stance we've taken is that we want people to learn, build their own capability, the teams have put together a terrific online resource, which exactly all the things that Philip was talking to, you know, provides. There's podcasts, there's books that you can go to, there's articles you can read. And, again, it's it's providing information to people so they can make up their own mind. And then we've also been hosting um, a series of webinars on these topics. Actually, Josh, uh, in your team, participated in one recently with us. And again, that's about providing information and being visible in this space. The wellness element is critically important as well. So whether it's access to EAP, exactly as you said, Noreen, making sure that there are Indigenous counsellors available and so on. But one thing also um, that I've been talking to our team about, talking to one of our Indigenous leaders yesterday about is just a simple thing you can do when we talk about cultural load, just check in with your team, right? So for my, my job is to say, how are you doing? Or if I see that a team member is taking too much responsibility, what I think might be too much responsibility for that is to actually say to them, I can take some of that load or are you okay? I think is a really simple, practical thing is to not ignore that and also just to ask those questions as well. So it's building capability and knowledge. Finally, 
on a practical level, we're at a core given, you know, we run accommodation and event spaces and that, we're providing practical support to the campaign around accommodation and catering and events. And again, that's important because it's a real tangible thing that we can do. I think saying you're going to do something versus doing something, it's the classic actions speak louder than words. So they're the things that we're doing. And I believe that will mean we have a meaningful uh, conversations in our organisation. And then I believe that if we're having that in the workplace, I know people are going to go and have those meaningful conversations at home and in their communities. And that's how you create change. And again, last week, we got 450 of our leaders together at a leaders conference here in Sydney, our most senior leaders. And thank you, Noreen, for participating. But we had a panel First Nations leadership with Dean from Yes23, yourself, obviously, Mandanara from Black Card, and really genuine, fabulous conversation and getting people to understand more than they did when they walk into those conversations and go away, um, you know, willing to do more and to be more thoughtful and take that insight into what they do daily. So that's what we're doing in a core. And to the point you said earlier, it's probably not enough. And so we, we have to keep doing more. Um, and so I also, you know, it's great for me to hear this conversation because it gives me insight to take away as well. Philippa, did you want to say one last thing, Sis? Yeah, one thing. Uh, somebody's asking about why in organisations they want to hear more from their First Nations employees on this. Sometimes it might not be safe. They might not feel safe to talk about this or they might not have even made up their own mind. So we can't expect that all the Indigenous staff, you know, in an organisation are going to be able to to talk to this. And if not, you need to be able to find other resources that are going to talk to this. Um, They might be the only Aboriginal people that you know potentially and you want to hear from them about their opinions. But, you know, as we've been saying, it might not be necessarily safe or they might not feel comfortable to do that. So you need to seek out other people like this you know on this webinar and what have you to be able to to talk to that if you want and the last thing I want to say is if your employer is doing things and you're not getting results leave don't stay in a job where you are not uh, supported appreciated or you know there is racist behavior or what have you because a lot of organizations don't have the mechanisms to be able to cope with that and if your organization doesn't I previously would have said, you know, come on, let's just Same. see how we can get through it. But Same. I've just come to the conclusion that there is no point in doing that. And the thing is, we are in demand. You need to look for a workplace that you can see is actively supporting Indigenous things and people. And you you ask them the questions when you go to an interview or you look on the website or whatever and say, what are you doing? What support mechanisms and networks and blah, blah, do you have in place? You know, because... Aboriginal employment is in demand and employers are looking for great people. So don't think you have to stay in a job where or in a place that is not going to support you. That's Philippa McDermott, Director of First Nations Talent at Deloitte. You also heard from Associate Dean Indigenous Leadership and Engagement at the University of Technology Sydney, Noreen Young, Indigenous Officer at the Australian Council of Trade Unions, Lara Watson, Farmer, Academic and Environmental Advocate, Josh Gilbert, and Chief Executive Officer of Accor Pacific, Sarah Derry. They were speaking during an online webinar hosted by the University of Technology Sydney.